Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. We want to continue our series on Bible themes or the things of the Bible. And we want to make sure we have a biblical perspective on approaching scripture that we may interpret the passages correctly. There is a reason why the uh, cults are grouped in that category in terms of doctrine because of the er erroneous interpretation of specific passages. And so if we learn to put in the practice of hermeneutics, it will help us to avoid the same mistakes that many cults make in terms of doctrine. Now we've defined hermeneutics as the science and art of biblical interpretation. So in other words, what we're saying is it is possible to approach the scriptures objectively, which means we are approaching the scripture without bias or or partiality and get from that approach the message that God wanted us to receive. It is possible. Now I do realize that some skeptics argue against the ability to objectively receive the true message uh, when one reads the scriptures. Uh, Some argue that since we all have biases, that it's not even possible to read a passage of scripture without us injecting our own biases into the passage as a result, making the interpretation diluted. So, In other words, these skeptics are certain that the best we can do in trying to interpret scripture is to lean on our own subjectivity. So they are discounting the ability to go to the scripture and clearly get from that passage what God intended us to have because they claim we are approaching that passage with our own Uh, perspective based on let's say background based on tradition based on culture and so as a result we can't ever get to God's intended meaning because we have all of these presuppositions going into uh, the biblical or, or, or the study of that passage and I'm saying that's incorrect and that's uh that's philosophically and uh, logically inconsistent. So the problem, if we were to follow the sub, uh, subjective method, is that the truth will be blurred or even un- untenable, uh, meaning unsupportable. Uh, subjectivity is, uh, in scripture interpretation will be uh, lead to everyone's own interpretation, and we would never get to the validity of the scripture. However, without objectivity, 
by a particular standard, what are we to do in terms of verifying if that passage is true or not? If everybody's view of the passages is, is correct, then we're going against the law of non-contradiction. Uh, we, 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 we would never know for certain which interpretation is correct or not correct because then everybody's uh, view would be equally valid, even if they contradict one another, which is illogical. So, for example, if someone interprets the passage as God created Jesus, thus Jesus is not equal to the Father, how could we ever challenge this view if this rule is if the rule is everyone can have their own view of that specific passage. Again, it doesn't make sense. Using subjectivity in interpretation of the scripture will ultimately lead to eisegesis. And eisegesis means that you are putting into the scripture what's not there, but what you want to be there. And as Christians, we can't ever do that. We must engage in exegesis, which is to pull out of the passage what's already there, not what we want to be there. So scripture tells us, as an example, Deuteronomy 4 and 2. You should not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God. I command you. That's Deuteronomy 4 and 2. And we see the same thing in the New Testament, Revelations 22 and 19. And if anyone takes away from the word of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. So both in, in the Old and New Testament, you find numerous passages which substantiates the doctrine that we are not to add to God's word. We are not to remove pa uh, passages of God's word. God's word is perfect the way it is. It's important for all believers to not uh, add to God's message. What's not there it is vitally important. So as we mentioned in early episode, the first question is not what does the scripture mean to me? The first question is what was the message conveyed in the text by the author to the original audience. And once we have established that, uh, we want to interpret that, 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 that portion of the passage and then decide if the text is prescriptive or descriptive. Is the test or the text rather, is it prescriptive or descriptive? If the text is prescriptive, it means the message is intended for all Christians to follow. So one of the ways to distinguish between a prescriptive and descriptive text, a prescriptive means that it's binding for all Christians, like a, pharmac a pharmacist prescribing a prescription for you. So prescriptive, remember, is for all Christians, meaning that these are directions for all Christians to follow. If the text is descriptive, it means it is a one-time occurrence or event and was not intended by God to be duplicated and it's not binding upon all Christians. If a text is descriptive, it means that it is not binding upon all Christians. 
It's not designed to be duplicated or the event to be duplicated. It was just for that one time. So let's give some examples. God fed Elijah food delivered by ravens in the Corinth Valley. First Kings 17 and 2. God had a special assignment for Elijah. He knew what method to use to get Elijah's attention. Now, this miracle of the ravens delivering bread from heaven to Elijah was intended to be a one time event for that particular situation. This narrative is not intended to be descriptive. It would be inaccurate for you or I to perceive this passage as one that is binding for all Christians. It doesn't matter how holy or righteous you think you are. God is not coming to your house to miraculously drop bread on your lap. This passage in first Kings 17 is descriptive, not prescriptive. Now, if God chooses to do it, we can't ever say uh, that. Okay. All Christians have been afforded the right for God to drop man of, uh, uh, from heaven into their laps by the way of ravens. God can do it if he chooses to and, and intercede supernaturally for a specific cause. But it's not a prescriptive text. It's a descriptive text because this action is not binding or it's, it's not afforded to all believers. Number two. A prescriptive passage means the message within the selected context is binding for all believers. As I said before, this means that God intends all Christians to follow what is being prescribed within the passage. It's not just descriptive, but prescriptive. One key, if you want to decipher if a passage is descriptive or prescriptive, is to ask the question, are there other texts? that corroborate the text that I'm reading. In other words, does the, does my interpretation of the text harmonize with other scriptures than the Bible dealing on the same subject matter? Please, 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 please do not attempt to interpret scripture in a vacuum. Don't just isolate one scripture that you like and ignore other passages that deal with the same subject matter. Scripture harmonizes. It doesn't contradict itself. In addition, do not push your own ideologies or presuppositions into the text. Always allow the text to speak for itself without you inserting your own biases. And what I mean by that is God has a message from every text. Every text has a, a message it's trying to convey. So we need to make sure that we are showing scriptural fidelity. When we study the Bible. Let's give an example. Prayer as a subject is always prescriptive, not descriptive. How can we say that? Because prayer can be found both in the New and Old Testament. And there are multiple scriptures that tell us that it's OK to pray. So when it comes to the subject of prayer, there are other scriptures to corroborate that we ought to always talk to God and it's called prayer. And not only that, uh, Thessalonians first Thessalonians five seventeen tells us that we should pray without ceasing. And that is a good, uh, prescriptive 
message to have as believers. Don't stop praying. Don't stop talking to God. Uh, let's look at an example. Another example. The fidelity of worship. That's another doctrine. God doesn't want us to give our worship to anyone else other than him. We find evidence of this both in the Old and New Testament. For example, Exodus 20 verses 3 through 5. He says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. In verse 3. Then when we read in the New Testament, Luke 4 and 8. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God. He is the only one you should serve. So both in the Old and New Testament, we find support for the fidelity of worship, meaning that God doesn't want us to worship anything or anyone else outside of him. And so that particular doctrine of uh, showing fidelity to God is a prescriptive uh, act. Now, another one deals with wisdom. So it's wisdom, descriptive or prescriptive. If you desire to learn about wisdom, you should first approach Proverbs as an example, Psalms, or even Ecclesiastics and the New Testament, the book of James. You may be asking why. These books were written to address the subject of wisdom, prudence, and making proper decisions. It would not benefit you as much to look for information on wisdom by going to the book of Acts. Can you find some wisdom in the book of Acts? Yes, you certainly will uh, could find some passages that infer wisdom. But these lessons that you will find on wisdom in the book of Acts are incidental. If you really want to get a grasp for wisdom, read Proverbs. Read the message written by Koheleth and uh, Psalms and Ecclesiastic and James. Those were intended to teach us about wisdom more clear, uh, clearly. Then there are those uh, who approach the Bible and come up with a totally uh, different interpretation that's inconsistent with scripture. Like the doctrine of soul sleep. There are those who believe that once you die, uh, you have no conscious uh, consciousness. Uh, you, 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 you are not aware, which is totally contrary uh, to scripture. They use um, the verse of uh, uh, verses in the scriptures that is totally contradictory to what scripture teaches. They twist it. As Paul says in Galatians, they, they pervert the scripture. But we learn both in Luke 16, 22 and 23, even Philippians 1, 23 and Psalm 16, 10 through 11. We learn that there is consciousness after death. Uh, there's numerous passages in the Bible that supports uh, consciousness after death. So we've come to this point. I wanted to touch on um, basic uh, hermeneutical uh, guidelines before we dealt with uh, this passage and this uh, episode's uh, themes of the Bible. On our last episode, we left off on uh, 1 Thessalonians. So we want to continue with 2 Thessalonians. And 2 Thessalonians, the theme is the day of the Lord the believer's ultimate vindication. The day of the Lord, the believer's ultimate vindication. 
first timothy the theme is conduct in the household of conduct rather in the household of god the church of the living god the pillar and support of the truth again first timothy's theme is conduct in the household of god the church of the living god the pillar and support of the truth the second timothy's theme is the character and conduct of the servant minister of christ the character and conduct of the servant minister of christ so as christians we can learn a lot from second timothy in terms of how to conduct ourselves as a servant minister of christ uh, not too many uh, believers or those who confess to be christians are joyous of being uh, in terms of being called a servant Everyone wants a grandiose title, but I'm telling you, if you want to be uh, the, uh, like Christ, if you if you really want to follow the example of Jesus, learn to have a servant attitude. And so Second Timothy reminds us of that. Then Titus, the theme of Titus is the church and the ministry, the church and the ministry. That is the theme of Titus. Then the book of Philemon. Or Philemon, uh, as some people uh, pronounce it. Uh, Philemon's theme is fellowship and forgiveness in Christ. Fellowship and forgiveness in Christ. And this is something that Jesus taught about forgiveness. Uh, we can't say we love God who we have not seen, according to John, and hate those people that we do see every day. Uh, what John is uh, teaching us is that if we love God the way that we say we love God, if we know God the way that we say we know God, if we worship God the way that we say we worship God, and if we truly understand how much we've been forgiven, then it, it, it makes it less difficult for us to forgive others because we understand that God forgave us. And in all fairness, uh, his forgiveness of us always outweighs what somebody else has done to us we've done a lot more to god but yet he forgave us he's given us the example that we can love individuals not hate them but reject some of their actions so you can love an individual uh, as a person but not embrace all of their actions we need to distinguish uh, distinguish that we should never as christians hate people we should love them but hate some of the actions. So Philemon deals with fellowship and forgiveness in Christ. Hebrews, the high priestly ministry of God's royal messianic son. The theme of Hebrew is the high priestly ministry of God's royal messianic son. James, the testing and trials of the believer's faith. First Peter, suffering and grace. Second Peter, Growing in grace. First John, fellowship with God the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Second John, walking in apostolic doctrine. Third John, walking in apostolic truth. Jude, contending for the faith once for all delivered. Again, Jude is contending for the faith once for all delivered. Then Revelation Jesus Christ coming worldwide judgment and kingdom reign. Jesus Christ coming worldwide judgment and kingdom reign. And those are the themes 
of the Bible. Uh, we started with Genesis and now we've concluded uh, all the way up to Revelation. And if you missed any of the themes, uh, you are welcome to access our website, www.aycce.org, www.aycce.org. Visit our website and the podcasts are loaded up on the website for you to uh, get the uh, the themes and if you wish, you can also email us through uh, the website or you can email me, uh, P-O-K-U at A-Y-C-C-E dot org, P-O-K-U at A-Y-C-C-E dot org. And I would love to uh, get the handout to you on the Bible themes. And uh, by the way, wanted to give credit to Professor Thomas Howe, who originally composed the themes that I've been going over um, and I basically modified it and categorized it uh, that it would be more simple for us to read. So uh, he's given us permission to uh, use uh, the Bible themes uh, based on the extraordinary work that he did. Uh, but it's biblical. Uh, if you read all the themes, you can trace it back to the scripture itself. So it's important that we know the reason for why each book was written, why each book was composed. So when we're dealing with our affairs, we know which book to go to. So when we're dealing with uh, the different things in life, we know how to approach the book and not force feed our interpretation or our desires into the text. Always approach the text as an open receptor meaning that you are open to what the text has to convey to you and not you imposing your thoughts, your ideologies, your biases, your philosophies into the text. If we are going to properly interpret uh, God's words, we need to make sure that we are approaching it with the right attitude, with the right conviction, and we are uh, wanting to learn what God has to say and not bringing in our own belief systems and interjecting it into the text. So again, I pray that we receive something for today from today's episode. We thank you all so much for your prayers. Continue to pray for this ministry uh, as ACE apologetics uh, go forth and train Christians in sound doctrine. Please consider supporting us uh, on this radio show. And we thank you all for your uh, encouragement, for your feedback, and we thank God for all that he's doing. Go forth and defend the faith. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy message as has been taught, so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. 
No matter what you're going through, you are not alone. Sis, if you've experienced pain in your father-daughter relationship, I want you to know that you are loved and seen. I'm Kia Stevens, host of the Hope for Women with Father Wounds podcast, and I created my show to help you exchange your father wounds for the love of God the Father. Join me for encouragement, wisdom, and scripture. Just search Hope for Women with Father Wounds on lifeaudio.com or wherever you get your podcast.